0: Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for listening to our show. You can take your listening further and support our work by becoming a member. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, members-only bonus content, an invitation to join the DSR Network Slack community, a members-only newsletter, and members-only blog posts. For the month of February, take 5% off the regular membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code secret. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy code secret. Thank you. Welcome to the secret life of cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. Today's guest is the brilliant journalist, author, advocate, and host of the eponymous daytime talk show, Tamron Hall. We talked and we cooked and we talked and we cooked and well, let's just get to the show. Hello and welcome everyone to the secret life of cookies. I have a very special guest today in her own kitchen NAACP Image Award winner, Multi Emmy Award winner, Glad winner, Gracie Award winner. I mean, you've, got, you've won so many awards and you're an extraordinarily accomplished human being. I have Tamron Hall with me and thank you so much for joining me on a crazy afternoon
1: oh, in the kitchen. It's such an honor to be here. I, listen, it's an honor to be with you and thank you for that beautiful introduction. I have only one disclaimer. Before we launch in, you will hear what sounds like a smoke detector with no batteries. That is not the case. That is my beloved Senegal parrot, Jojo, Josephine Burker, who when she hears me talking and she can't see, she uh, wants to chime in. So that is not, I, my cooking is still a work in progress, but that is not the smoke alarm going off because of my cooking. That is Jojo Bird. <laughs> I, I
0: So everyone, be, let's be very clear, Tamron Hall's cooking is a number one no smoke alarms are ever involved in her cooking, which
1: is awesome. <laughs> not, not during this conversation. I can't say never involved, but not during this conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I once annihilated a meal I was making, like one of those young wife experiences where you're like, I'll cook a meal for my husband as if it were 1952. And in my small little apartment in New York City and literally like the bacon in the pan was just a black outline by the time we were done. And the neighbor was at the front door going, can we help you? Is there something wrong? It was very romantic.
1: Have you ever had an experience? I've, I've had many. So I actually started cooking 2009. My father passed away when I moved to New York and I just started with NBC. And My dad was the greatest cook. My dad did. I I would joke that I never had a meal cooked by a woman until I went to college because my dad cooked every meal for me, my brother, my mother. And he was the kind of dad that when we'd go on road trips, he'd get up the night before and he'd like fry chicken and make sandwiches and wrap them all up. He's that he was in the army for 30 years and he was such a disciplined and focused person. And when he passed away. Obviously, many, many voids. He was my stepfather. I say he was the dad God meant for me to have. In fact, that's why we're doing an upcoming show on redefining family because my family was defined in this very different way. He was my, my mother was his third wife. He was 25 years older. And on paper, I say, dad, who would marry three times married 25 years older and the love of each other's lives? And and so my dad was in the army, came into my life. My mom was a single mom for many years. He did all the cooking. And so my dad passed away. Went home to see my mother the, the first Christmas without him and she had nothing. We had nothing. And my dad would always make, you know, ham, turkey, roast, this, this. And I vowed when I was on the plane coming back to New York that I would learn to cook. And I have uh, two friends, a phenomenal couple. They took me to uh, William Sonoma. They did these cook demos and, but you couldn't get your hands dirty. You did this watch, you know, it was great though. And the woman uh, doing the cook demo said, you have to get a barefoot contessa book. You will not go wrong. Go with Barefoot Contessa. Full disclosure, I'd never heard of Barefoot Contessa. I was, I would watch the Food Network occasionally just to drool over like barbecue, but I hadn't, you know, really explored cooking. And so I got all of uh, the Barefoot Contessa's books at the time that were out, like five or six. And I started to work my way through the different recipes and trying them. And, and to your point about burning, there are a lot of things that ended up in the trash. There are a lot of things that I, and, and I'm thinking if I got that wrong, what's wrong with me? And as, as, Life turns out, I mentioned this on air when I was at the Today Show, and uh, the Barefoot contestant, Ina Gardner, invited me to her home in the Hamptons, and we cooked uh, a meal together, and that really gave me great confidence. Her pep talk that day, and we became so emotional over the story of my dad as I'm here messing with these mushrooms that I'm going to prepare in a second, and so I... um, just started this food exploration, but yes, I, my 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 horror story once was I was making uh, the bear for hams' ham, just this beautiful uh, chutney glaze, and I'm walking across alone. I'm walking in my home alone across to like start to put the table together, and the ham slid off the tray onto the floor. Thank goodness I didn't have carpet because you know chutney glaze and carpet fibers don't mix. I picked up the ham. I picked up the ham, and we proceeded. Because no one knew and they love that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But now everyone knows, but that's okay.
1: That's That's okay. It was a couple of years ago. See, you know, what is it? The five second rule? It's the, it's the no carpet rule. There you go.
0: But that is, that is such a classic um, cooking story. Even I who cook all the time, I'm constantly making mistakes. We get distracted, right? I am making something inspired by, I have to say, I tucked into your Jordan Manning book and you know you're lucky I showed up right because I'm thoroughly enjoyed it I w- my, I'm like going to line up for the next book which is coming out this year I hope
1: right Yeah I just I am uh, I finished the uh, second book in the series Jordan Manning and I went back in and and tweaked some things as it turns out the first book was so, it's almost overwhelming to think that the book and the the case was centered around missing girls and missing girls of color and the difference in how these cases are handled. And the Gabby Petito case was in the headlines just as we dropped the book. Well, now um, I thought about the second case some time ago, and I finished the book over June, the month of June, this past June, a year ago. And this is Jordan Manning leaving the Chicago area, traveling through the Midwest to Aid a woman who's reached out to her because her sister is missing. And she believes that the husband had something to do with her disappearance, inspired in part by a case, two cases. I've covered many like this, but unfortunately I've covered many like this, but two in particular uh, that really haunted me and still do, and inspired this this allegiance between these two women to try and find justice for this missing woman and, and learn where she is and what's happened to her. And right now in the news cycle there are three major cases involving spouses accused of murdering their wives or having something to do with the disappearance. And so now I've gone in and reworked and finessed some of the content based on things that I'm observing in the media coverage regarding these cases. Uh, the case itself, that's done, and Jordan's part and 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 exploring this case done. But each and every day, I learn about the field that I love so much, and I I continue to learn and and like others, become frustrated with how we still cover certain things, like you know the need to understand that Gabby Petito deserved that attention and her family deserved that attention, but the many other cases that we saw in real time, parents. On Good Morning America, saying please pay attention to my child too. That's the frustrating part that we all, I think, recognize in our business. And now I'm watching a few of these cases play out where women are missing, and what I feel is uh, are missing components of the conversation and how we cover these stories. Well, that's exactly what one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. I teach journalism
0: just this week, and I've been covering the Gabby Petito case since it broke because. It's so important for these kids to understand, even because I teach an intro to journalism class. Not every one of them wants to go off and be a journalist, but I want them to understand at the very least, if they become a sports broadcaster or, you know, head of PR for the Jersey Devils, how to read and understand what journalists are giving them and how to honor, you know, like to respect journalists and how to read the news. The Gabby Petito case, Really brought it home for a lot of kids in my class, you know, and reading your book while watching the coverage of the Tyree Nichols case felt was haunting for me, right? And to see how Jordan deals with that, right? That I think, and I, this is actually a quote from your book, which is the psychological game, and this is her talking, the psychological game that reporting such a tragedy plays on you. On the outside, I appear to be competitive, but inside, I sometimes question whether this is the way I want to cover people and tell stories. And I wonder how, as a journalist, because you kind of balance those two things, especially in these cases where you have to go into the community, just like Jordan does, and just like people are doing now with Tyree Nichols and every other case like it.
1: You know, it is in that. And first of all, I I, I thank you for. Guiding the next generation of people who will be part of the media world that we love. And I love that you also focus in, not just on those on camera or those writing the scripts, but from the PR angle, all of these things. This is, this is this, this cloud, if you will, that we, we operate together. And and if we don't, it turns black and thunderous and ugly when instead it should be illuminating and it should be bright and transparent. Right. And so for me, going even, to, you know, your, your students and you said, you know, this awakening with the Gabby Petito case, or even now you will have this conversation about Tyree Nichols and kids under the age of, you know, 20, this will be an awakening for them in a different way, almost than George Floyd, right? Because this was a clear incident uh, and George Floyd was as well. But, but if you watch certain stations and networks, it can muddy the water, but here you see compliance you see no history of issues. You see a two-parent home. You see a skateboarding, Starbucks-loving kid just like many of them. I, for me, it's heartbreaking because every generation will have this. Mine was Rodney King. You know, mine was Rodney King. And even though I grew up in this rural environment, I was uh, emboldened when I heard N.W.A., seeing those lyrics that government officials wanted them banned for only for them. Now I believe to be in the rock and roll hall of fame, you know, but I, I, a kid far, I'd never been pulled over. I'd never experienced, thank God, my parents having to give me the talk. We had different talks of course, about me being a black woman in this country, but I didn't have that talk about, you know, hold your, your steering wheel and just in case, and all of these things that my brother and cousins had, I didn't have to have that talk, but I was as angry as the lyrics in N.W.A.'s song about the police because I watched this guy and I was in college at the time. So now here I am becoming a journalist and at Temple University, which you know is a phenomenal university, about nine to 10 percent uh, students of color, many of them from the Philadelphia area. But I'm still in this utopia. I'm in North Philadelphia, but I'm in this world of glitter and student loan debt, but still glitter. You know what I mean? And and it left this huge mark on me personally. So fast forward, you know, being a reporter in Chicago for ten years and grappling with the words and the images on the the newscast. And I'm not singling out that station, but just everywhere that I work. Right when I got in this business, we were still allowed to say the suspects five eleven, black, and had a, a orange shirt on. And I remember getting into a verbal altercation with a news director where I said. That's my brother. That's my cousin Richie, who just got back from uh, his tour of duty. You know, that can be anyone. And he goes, well, that's what the police gave us. And so that inspired that interaction. There's an interaction in the book where I talk, well, that's what the police gave you, but that doesn't make it right. And we see that with Tyree Nichols. Just because the police say it in a police report doesn't mean that the media then becomes a medium for disinformation. Absolutely. Let's just pause um, for a
0: second. I want to know actually what you're working on. What are you cooking right there?
1: I am actually, we had uh, chicken thighs. My husband's out of town, so I, I'm a sucker for sheet pan recipes. So, yesterday, I'll link down time. yesterday, I made uh, feta cheese dill chicken thighs with crispy potatoes from the New York Times, which I'm addicted to. That's my, my go to tonight, though, because we had chicken last night. We had steak the night before. I'm doing a whole roasted fish. With roasted uh, wild mushrooms. And it's just, a, it's an easy preparation. It's very simple. I'll try to get you down here. There they are. There are my mushrooms. And those are beautiful. That is That's the
0: good. most beautiful collection of mushrooms, too. I have to say. She does not just have some little white mushrooms <laughs> uh, no, there. No. She has
1: uh, I'm the, the only whole selection. The recipe. Listen, the recipe said, you know, oyster. Shiitake, Shitake, yeah. a of exotics, and then another one I can't even say the meat, meat, miyaki, yeah, mytaki. So no, this I, I wish I was this sophisticated. I followed the recipe, and this is what it called for. So there I was walking through uh, the Whole Foods across the street from my son's school right before I picked him up, and I grabbed these, and then it's just a uh, sage, rosemary, thyme, and I have a whole fish, and that's going to be the dinner tonight. And you and your son, your son glorms this up, right? Uh, he's three, so he will be having chicken quesadillas um, or chicken <laughs> quesadillas. But I will say, he does, he does have a, a sophisticated palate when it comes to smoothies. He loves kale smoothies, but he won't know. He, I, uh, my dream, because of this cooking journey that I've been on, my dream was to have this kid that, you know, we'd walk into restaurants and people say, oh, what is he having? And I'd say, oh, he's, he's having the, the, I don't know, whatever, the sea bass with the marinated cabbage. And that was my dream. And so when I started out, we were pureeing everything. And I was on a roll. All my friends were like, How do you eat, he eats pureed asparagus. I'm like, yeah, he, that's nothing. You know, and there I am, just, just gliding through life, believe And he, he even had um, a pureed, like, I have this cookbook somewhere. It was a kid's cookbook. And it was like, you know, pureed uh, rice with mashed salmon. And he's eating this up until about one. At the age of one, and then it was lights out. It all went out, boom, chicken nugget, French fries, pizza. And, and so he's uh, about to turn four. We've gone through two years of that. He does not like ice cream. I adore candy, and so I have a whole, I keep candy jars filled in my house. He just started eating M&M's. So he loves, uh, finally, I broke him down to his mother's level of wanting candy all day. So he does eat chocolate M&M's. He does not like ice cream. He loves yogurt. I know, I know. So we go to birthday parties. Please, I, I just need any tips on how to make my child eat ice cream and cake. So no, tonight he gets um, a green smoothie and he will have a little crispy fish stick, kind of pre-prepared, like little crunchy fish stick that he likes. But I, it is my goal to get him to explore. Well, he does have exotic fruit taste. He, um, this is, a, what is, it? This is the, one of the Korean pears. It's his favorite. He loves, he does have. So crunchy and juicy. I think that's what it is. It's crunchy and it's juicy. And he loves that, but we are working slowly out of the chicken. And I, and I don't begrudge it. I don't call it the pit of chicken nuggets because it's a salvation, but I would like for him to at least try a burger. I tried a hot dog last night. He wouldn't try it.
0: My, neither of my children will eat hot dogs. And I grew up in a sort of the hot dogs were like the pin- pinnacle of delicious yeah, that's, as far I think, as I was cold. concerned. oh, <laughs> they!
1: they I, I still think they're delicious. <laughs> so do I.
0: So do I. Um, and Dave, I don't know. Maybe they've seen too many videos about how they're made. doesn't bother me. I mean, we like ethically made food, of course, obviously. I don't know if I can be much help to you because... I trained as a, sh- like I left, I was working at oxygen television. I, I went and I trained as a chef because I knew that was what I wanted to do after being just a plain old writer. I wanted to write about food. So I thought, and I got pregnant in cooking school. There I was eating all these things. And my daughter inside, of course, wouldn't she be benefiting from all those tastes? And I'm, she's getting there. She's 20. Um, she's getting there.
1: She's eating lots more things now, but. Um, uh, well, there's hope. So I've got what, uh, 18, 60 more years. It's, it's interesting. No, I was saying it's interesting because I've, I've even taken to Googling like why kids don't like vegetables. And I've come across these articles that claim that they taste the toxins in the green vegetables more than an adult palate. I am choosing to believe that because it will explain why every attempt. I, I, you understand, I put, uh, I do uh, roasted carrots with maple. We have tried every, I have, what do I, I think I have it nearby. <laughs> Oh, you've been there. Now I had just bought some, uh, I was so, I didn't want to make uh, caramel sauce today. So I, I bought caramel sauce with the hope of putting carrots in it and trying to, and then slowly less and less caramel sauce. And then you're down to just the carrot. But, um, I don't know if that's going to work.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I, I, have, I ended up cooking a lot of vegetables and things like curried rice. And at some point they become sort of, they move past it. Right. And I think, oh, those vegetables have melted down in there, and that's good. Or the water that you cook vegetables in, then you pour you, you cook your pasta in it. And I keep thinking, all oh, that goodness from the kale, yeah, yeah,
1: that's in there, even though Hopefully she's not it's eating. There, yeah. Well, we're doing food division now. Uh, I don't know if you tried this technique. It's called food division. You put three. You pick the three things, and you put them in front. And so we're doing that. And we had he did, in fairness to him, he did bite into a baby carrot begrudgingly. And uh, because I bribed him that he could get an m M&M and candy after he ate the care. so we're making some progress there. So You're making that.
0: progress. That's what's important, and um, you'll get there. I have a son who is like his own little gourmand, but is still like I mean, like he's like off cooking Japanese food in great detail, knows every mushroom there is, but is still like oh, I wouldn't eat a hot dog or you know, it's, they're all still so particular, right? I mean. i get it it. (laughs) and think when you're like i could cook you anything you want and you want me to air fry you a chicken nugget okay fine if you're happy i am making i was also inspired by that like brunch you guys eat at um at at district and with groundhog day coming up joyce vance if you know her the legal analyst on msnbc among other things that she is was like, what do you eat on Groundhog Day? And I'm like, well, let me go to the movie. And in the movie, he eats breakfast over and over and over again. But oh, like yeah. Massively. So I made a, a, a muffin, so you can have it on the go, a pancake muffin with bacon in it. And I'm going to make a coffee maple glaze to pour over it. So it's sort of like all of your breakfast in one place.
1: I lo- We're big on muffins around here because going back to all things surrounding the child, He does get all of his zucchini, carrot. We make different versions. There's a blogger that I follow. She's a, I guess she's a therapist who teaches kids to not be picky eaters. Kind of helps parents. Uh, But I follow her on on, online, and she has great muffin recipes. So we are definitely team muffin around here because it's portable. You move around with my schedule. Like this morning, we have this baked oatmeal, uh, kind of like it's got pears in it, and he loves it. There's no sugar in it. He loves it. I I I suffer through it because there needs to be sugar in everything that I eat. But he uh, loves it without sugar. And I I took that with me uh, to the show for my breakfast, and then he had it for his breakfast this morning. So we're very portable around here.
0: Yeah, I I make a an oatmeal cake that even surprised me how delicious it was. Like good, I can eat cake for breakfast, and it was all. Yeah,
1: I love that. I love made with maple syrup and
0: whatever. Right now, I'm making my glaze. Are you, you're gonna,
1: I guess, chop mushrooms. I'm, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm doing that and slicing my lemon. Re- I least I do. Actually, let me grab my fish because I've got to stuff the cavity of the fish and uh, get it all prepared there. I,
0: you're, you're uh, making the challenging meal now. I'm just like whisking. Oh, this su- is I'm so whisking e- sugar I mean, for you. I love it. Now this is really easy. How do you, as a reporter? get the story and you deal and you deal with this all the time, especially with some of the, like the crime show that you also host, but how do you get the story and remain emotionally intact
1: or how do you manage your emotions or are the times when you just don't? I I don't at any given time. I mean, it's, um, for me, you know, after being a journalist for 30 years and pretending to uh, walk away, I finally, um, I think it's when I started doing deadline crime. And by then I'd become, uh, I I was open about my sister's death and her her being an unsolved uh, homicide. And I think that people knew this part of my life. And so they would come to me and there was a look, right? You see this look of recognition that you are in that same club. You're in that same sad world, to be honest with you. And so I'd walk in and, you know, you'd have the chair where the uh, family member or person was sitting and in my empty chair and you'd walk through the lights and you've seen the setup before of the, the interview that, you know, and you walk in and there was always this look of, you understand me, Tamron, you get it, you get it. And I could see it without words. And it started to uh, get to the point where I would walk in rooms and people would start crying. It just was a release of she gets it, I trust her. And that allowed me to face reality, right? And and that's, it's so important. And and I hope that in the next life, that after I've retired from on-air work, that I do have an opportunity to help young journalists or future journalists prepare for this. Because one of the things that I've talked about, I talk about it with Jordan Manning, and, and I talk about it much more with young students is, you know, an EMT or a frontline worker, they go through training to be prepared to walk into a disaster. I, as a journalist, I think I was like, oh boy, I had to be in my, I, I think I was 25, 26. I'm working in Dallas, Fort Worth. I'll never forget, I'm the overnight. So, you know, anything that happens from midnight to 4 a.m. is a fire or a murder. You know, I'm in Dallas, Texas. And we arrive, uh, the strip mall, me and my cameraman, just the two of us. And, you know, back then we had the two-way radio. We could talk to the Simon desk back at the station. And we were told that there'd been a burglary at the strip mall. We arrived and the man who owned a beauty salon had come in early apparently to, to do the laundry on the beauty salon. So he used a lot of towels, And so he was getting a jump on the day. The sun was rising and it was, like a script in a movie or a, a, a chapter in a novel, the sun is rising. I look over. We we arrived before police. I don't even know how we we learned. I think they said shots fired. And We heard the scanner, and this was a black neighborhood, underserved neighborhood. So we beat the police there, by the way, because it was called in as a burglary, and the man is there, and he is either dying or has died. But all I see. It's just a pool of blood. And I, I'm looking at my camera, and we're looking in, and we're freaking out. He's from like Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm from, you know, we're, we're, now we're at the strip mall in Dallas, Texas. This man is in front of us. By then, the police arrive, and at the same time or they're about. his wife arrives. And I'll never forget it. And it, it, it's, it's even now so difficult. She got out of her car. The door opened. I never forget. I couldn't listen to this song for very long. So Tony Braxton, "Unbreak My Heart." She was listening to the radio, I guess, when she was coming in, and the song was—I could hear it—and she ran over and she's screaming, and uh, you know, there was just—it was chaos. A couple of officers, Chris Mathis, my camera guy, me, and this woman, and she's now on her knees and she's trying to caress him, and I without realizing it went over and and I like started hugging her and and trying to comfort her and console her. Nothing in law and ethics of journalism, nothing in how to cover court prepared me for that. And I was in my early twenties. So now I'm there. A man has died. He's been murdered, his wife, and that's my job. And I'm supposed to go to the seven o'clock newscast in the morning or the noon and report it. And then go home. There was no offer of counseling, and I'm that doesn't. I'm not saying they did or meaning the station. We're not. That's not a part of the system, right? They don't have counseling for the reporter or let's talk about it after work. There was no HR to come in and say, you know, are you okay? And that's the business. And so I do believe there needs to be a, especially with such a lucrative business the networks and others have found in covering crime, understanding that these are. Not only are we talking about real people someone's mother, sister, friend, father, cousin we are real people, and we're not designed and trained to leap into these situations in this way when I did a deadline crime, and even now one of the rules I have is I cannot see crime scene pictures with an individual in the picture. I refuse. And that was after uh, covering a case, college student in Missouri. And my team at the time didn't know me well. And I just started out Deadline Crime. And, you know, they give you this folder to study and research the case. And I'm going through the case. And all of a sudden, in the middle, I see their pictures, but I kind of don't know. And I turn and there it was. And I, you know, I freaked. And I, and I called and I said, you know, if I'm going to do this show, I will be there. I will do whatever I need to do. But I cannot, cannot see these pictures. I'm not mentally in a space and nor do I believe I will ever be to that's not what I do. I'm not a I'm not a doctor. I'm not a EMT. I, I'm not. So it's I know I'm not a police officer, right? So I I have um I am comforted in, in accepting that I'm a human and there's no balance for me in this. And that's why Jordan Manning and as the wicked watch in that series was such a it came at the pandemic, you know, and I'm trying to deal with life like everyone else. And we're, first of all, we're worried about our own health, our family. We don't know if the air is safe. We don't know if the food that we're chopping right now is say nothing. And as things settled down a bit, uh, and things are still obviously in flux, but um, it gave me a chance to write this character and build this character born from my love of Nancy Drew as a kid, and also an opportunity to exercise you know to to purge some of these things and put it into this character
0: this is the part where we switch to content for paid subscribers only thank you to all of you for tuning in if you are able to become a subscriber please go to the dsrnetwork.com for more information about all the benefits of which there are many Thank you to Tamron for being my guest today and being so generous with her time. You can tune in to the Tamron Hall Show on ABC. To get the recipe for this and other recipes, go to my substack at marissarothkopf.substack.com. And if you would, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast Store. Thank you so much and have a great week.